What is the role of hope in psychotherapy? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. David Feldman, Assistant Professor of Counseling Psychology at Santa Clara University and co-author of the End of Life Handbook and many articles on his research regarding hope. Dr. Feldman, welcome back to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us about your research involving the role of hope in psychotherapy. Well, for decades, I think psychologists, psychiatrists, and other mental health care professionals have agreed that hope is key for therapy to work. But this is more of an off-the-cuff statement that they make than something that we have had traditionally a lot of research backing up. It feels nice to say that hope is key, but what exactly does that mean? And there hasn't been a lot of work on it because I think as a profession, we've concentrated on the negative stuff like depression and anxiety and trauma instead of researching, for instance, how to help patients to feel hopeful. I think, ironically, there is a back door through which we have studied hope, and that is the placebo effect. Hope is a little like the placebo effect on steroids. Everybody knows that placebos are powerful, and that's partly because it kindles hope. Because when we take a sugar pill or when we go to a psychotherapist, we are hopeful that this is going to work. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually could understand how exactly this is working so that we can not just give a placebo, but we can actually do something beyond that that will truly potentiate hope. So a group of collaborators and I, headed by Jennifer Chevins, a wonderful researcher and clinician at Ohio State University, we developed a therapy to teach people hopeful thinking skills. It's an eight-session group psychotherapy, which is certainly brief by most psychotherapy standards. And we actually tested it on a small group of adults with a number of mental illnesses, mostly depression and anxiety-related disorders. And the results were astounding. After these eight sessions where we taught them various hopeful thinking skills, compared to a control group, and this was a waitlist control group, we found increases in hope, of course, but also decreases in depression, decreases in anxiety, increases in self-esteem. And my favorite was we found a greater sense among the folks who had been through our treatment that life is meaningful. And that, to me, is amazing, that eight sessions of teaching someone to think more hopefully can actually lead them to say, life is more meaningful. This is not a Band-Aid. This is something that changes the way people look at the world. Did you do long-term follow-up studies to see if the patients were thinking that way? in the future? I would love to tell you yes, but the answer is unfortunately no. What we have is before and after data, so immediately pre-therapy and immediately post-therapy. We would love to follow up, and certainly that's in the cards for the future. What we do know is that hope is not something that is temporary, that the way hope has been studied over the last two decades is as a stable characteristic that people have, and we think that people can develop. And so it's not as if it's something that comes and goes. It really is something that sticks with people and leads them to feel less depressed and less anxious and all of those wonderful things that I talked about. But we don't yet have data that we can help people to feel that way long term. Your research is very hopeful. (laughs) 
Thanks for saying that. Yeah, we have a lot of puns about hope. We hope our research comes out this way or that way. It's kind of a fun thing to talk about. How do you teach patients to be hopeful? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's a hard question to answer in a couple of minutes. I'll tell you the three sets of skills that we teach, and I'll talk a little bit about how people who aren't necessarily psychotherapists, who don't have a ton of time with patients, can help to kindle hope. The biggest skill is goals. You know, I think people who are chronically depressed or who feel hopeless, one of the things they end up doing is just giving up their hopes. They end up saying, there's no way I can get what I want in life, so I might as well not even hope anymore. And one of the most useful things that providers can do with patients is to simply engage them again in a conversation about what their dreams are and what their hopes are. And I do this even in two-minute interactions with patients. And we certainly do this. This is a couple of sessions in our eight-session group therapy is helping people to identify what's important to them, what's meaningful to them, and just to start to brainstorm about some goals, some hopes that they have. We also talk about pathways, which is another component of hope. Sometimes it's called way power. And this is helping, once people have identified what are their goals, helping them to figure out some ways they might get to those goals. Very often, again, people are so demoralized that they say, even if I have a goal or a hope, I'm never going to get there. I can't even think of a way. And so we teach them how to map out a way. Simple things that psychotherapists have done for a long time, like drawing an X on a paper, on one side of a paper, making a little figure of you on the other side, and drawing a line between them, and on that line, putting steps that you can follow. Uh, The third component of hope that we help to work with is agency or willpower, and this is the self-talk component. These are the habits of thought that patients have or don't have about their ability to motivate themselves to achieve their goals. Patients who are chronically low in hope say things like, I can't do this, there's no way, I'm not capable, I'm not intelligent enough. And so we help them simply to get in touch with those thoughts. We point them out when we hear them. We have them write them down, we have them journal about them. And we have them devise new ways and begin to slowly substitute those new ways, realistic ways. We're not talking about rainbows and kittens and everything's beautiful here. If a patient can go from, there's no way I can get what I want in life, that thought, to the thought, you know, I probably can't, but I can't lose in trying. I mean, that's not a super hunky-dory happy thought, but that's a lot more hopeful than the former one. And so helping patients to just identify that thinking and shift it a little bit is part of what we do as well. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. David Feldman, Assistant Professor of Counseling Psychology at Santa Clara University and co-author of the End of Life Handbook, discussing his research regarding hope. Doctor, does research exist on the physiological effects of hope? You know, very little research exists on that, but I'll tell you what we know about it. There is one really intriguing study 
that C.R. Snyder, the originator of this theory, did prior to his death a couple of years ago, looking at hope and pain tolerance, which I think is especially meaningful for, for physicians and nurses and people who work with physically ill people. What they actually did was they asked, these were college students, to come into a lab and to dip their hands in ice-cold water and keep it in there as long as possible. This is often called the cold presser task. And what they wanted to know is, does hope, do these people's measured level of hope using the hope scale, which is this very brief psychological test of hope, does that predict how long these people are willing and able to keep their hands in this very icy cold water. This is very painful. Do it sometime. It hurts like the dickens. And what they found was not only that people could tolerate the pain for longer periods of time, but they also, when asked to rate the pain on the you know, 1 to 10 pain scale, they consistently rated the pain as less painful. So this is incredible. So if we can help our patients extrapolate this to what we do as healthcare providers, if we can help our patients to be more hopeful in their thinking, they'll actually be able to withstand pain and suffer less as a result. Now, don't ask me why this is the case. I don't think we know. We just know at this point that it is. We also have some intriguing results from a presently non-published sample of folks that I collected here in the Bay Area, where we found relationships between higher hope and lower body mass index, lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol levels in a you know, normal, healthy, quote-unquote healthy sample of ethnic minority folks, specifically Asian and Asian American folks here in the Bay Area. And so I'm, I'm working presently on analyzing that data more in depth and hopefully getting it published. And may we have a preview of what you think, why this is going on? Uh, you know, I wish I could tell you in greater detail why exactly. I'll give you my theory about pain tolerance. I think that people who are hopeful basically keep their eyes on the prize. That's part of what hope is. It encourages us, hope inspires us to look at what we want rather than necessarily the pain involved in getting it. That's the definition of hope, right? Is that even in painful circumstances, we're able to look forward and say, I'm hopeful. I think I'm going to get this thing. And so people are willing and able to withstand more pain, more suffering, to go through hard things in order to get their goal. In the, in the case of the pain study that I talked about, that goal was to beat the clock and keep their hand in the water as long as possible. I think if you think about patients, the goal, if you're injured, might be to rehab, to fully rehab yourself. If you think about patients who are perhaps have very serious illnesses who are dying, which is a group of people that I work clinically with, perhaps that's to live as fully as possible and to be with their families. Uh, and so they're able to ignore or put on the back burner the pain in order to get what's really important to them, what they truly hope for. You write that if the terminally ill are given a chance to hope through finding meaning in the present, they will be more able to fully live until they die. Tell us more. Well, I think in life, many of us get absolutely obsessed with the future. And there's no doubt about it that hope is a future-focused thing. Hope is about looking into the future and saying, I, I have a hope, I have a goal, I have a dream in the future. 
But I think many of us look way too far in the future habitually. We have these five and 10-year game plans. I remember 12, 13 years ago when I applied for graduate school, one of the essay questions was, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Wow, how was I supposed to know? In life, we can't wait to get our first job and then and then we buy our time until we get promoted, and, and then we start planning for retirement years down the road. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for I think we sometimes get stuck in those long-term goals. We get stuck in the future, and we forget about the present. For somebody who has a terminal illness, very frequently they don't know until they only have a few weeks or months to live. And so I think that as healthcare providers, we can be really important in useful in refocusing them on goals that are not way into the future, but are achievable and meaningful to them in this moment. Dr. Feldman, thank you for joining us to discuss hope. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Susan Dole, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.